Well, can we open our Bibles and we will turn together to John's Gospel, chapter 6. The Gospel of John, chapter 6. Good to see you here this evening. Welcome you. Welcome those online. Trust the Lord will be with us all as we gather together and we meet around His own Word. So John chapter 6, and we'll read from the verse number 37 down to 45. Let's hear the Word of God. John 6, verse number 37. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which has sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. The Jews then murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith, I came down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, Murmur not among yourselves. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. Amen. And the Lord will bless the reading of His, of his own word to all of our hearts. And we could we just bow together in prayer once more, and we will look to the Lord for help and for grace as we wait before Him. Our Father in heaven, we continue in Thy presence, and we thank Thee for the one who does draw men to thy, to the Savior. We thank Thee for Thy Word that we will look at tonight that reminds us of this great fact. And Lord, we rejoice that when men are drawn to Christ, they are given liberty from bondage, and their hearts are set free, and there is a freedom and a liberty which they have never known before. And Lord, we long and pray that in our day and time, we will see this happening around us more and more and among us more and more. O oh Lord, we pray for those who are captives, those who are bound by Satan and bound by sin, who are lost in darkness, who cannot in any shape or fashion deliver themselves. And Lord, we come to Thee in their behalf. We're here to pray tonight, especially for lost souls, and to intercede for the movings of God by His Spirit and through His Word to bring souls unto Jesus Christ. And so, Father, move, we pray, and bless our hearts as we wait in Thee. We lift up to Thee all the work of God here and all the needs of it. And, Lord, we will hear of many of those needs a little later on. And we pray, Lord, that this night Thou wilt set us a-praying, Thou wilt breathe on us from heaven. Even now, Lord, lift from us every a vestige of, of bondage and, and the fetters that the devil would put upon us. And Lord, give us freedom in prayer. Give us help in our worship. Give us a sense of thy nearness as we wait at thy feet and we turn our minds to thy precious words. Bless us now. Grant me the cleansing that the blood imparts. 
And Lord, breathe on me from heaven. Without thee I can do nothing. And O oh Lord, we pray that thou wilt just bless us and be with us. For this we ask in Jesus' name and for his eternal glory. Amen and amen. So John 6, and I want to draw your attention to verse 44. We will read 44 and 45 because the two go together. And then we'll come to the Lord's word and message for tonight. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. And I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. Now, verse 44 contains words, the words of Jesus Christ, in which he focuses very pointedly on the inability of the sinner, the sinner's inability to initiate any spiritual response to the gospel. Notice the verb in that verse, the word can, no man can come to me. And it may also be read, no man is able to come to me. So the focus in the verb is on ability. And when we read the, the, the verse, of course, we find it is in the negative because it says no man can or no man is able to come to me. So while the word signifies ability or the power to uh, perform an act, yet because it's accompanied by the negative, therefore, well, it neg negates any thought of man having power or ability to do anything spiritual. And that's a very vital lesson that we need to learn and never forget. And so what we're finding is that sin has stripped man of all spiritual ability. Now, at the same time, man's very active in his rebellion against God. He defies God. He sins against God. He lives only for the flesh and for the world and for himself and does so, as I say, very actively. And yet at the same time, uh, with his act of rebellion against the Lord, he is stricken with helplessness and with hopelessness. Therefore, if anyone is to be saved, the initiation of it and the success of it is all of God. That is doctrinal and biblical truth. It is truth that motivates, therefore, earnest intercession for those who are yet lost in their sin. Intercession that seeks for the conquest and the defeat of man's spiritual inability. A conquest that will result in the drawing of people, men and women, young people, little ones, to the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. That is the truth that this text presents, and based on Christ's words, there are certain uh, truths that I want us to look at tonight about sinners being drawn by God. That's what the verse says, no man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. And notice how exclusive this verse is. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. The exclusivity of the verse touches man. No man can come to Christ left to himself, but it also touches God, so to speak, because it says, except the Father which has sent me 
draw him. So a few thoughts just to leave with you. I believe there will be material for prayer. We're thinking of our gospel mission now in April and, of course, the ongoing ministry here. And we want to really pray that what this verse is teaching will come to pass. It always comes to pass every time a soul is saved, remember. But we want to see it multiply. We want to see it uh, something that is remarkably wide and and uh, broaden its scope and soul after soul after soul being reached and being drawn to our Savior by the power of the gospel. Number one, let us look at the person to whom they are drawn. And to me, that's the vital thing to begin with, the person to whom they are drawn. The Lord states, no man can or is able to come to me except the Father draw him. And so the Lord is speaking of a drawing of sinners unto himself. Christ is the person, therefore, to whom they are drawn. And Christ is the person to whom they need to be drawn. And they must be drawn to our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a very specific matter that is brought before us in this verse. Uh, And therefore, there's a specific person, a, a blessed person, to whom the lost are drawn by God the Father. Now that fact is brought out in certain words in this verse. In those particular words, if you look at the verse carefully, the Father which hath sent me. I just want you to focus on those particular words at this moment. The Father which hath sent me. Christ deliberately inserts those words. He could have simply said, no man can come to me except the Father draw him. But this would not have been enough. This would not have been sufficient in terms of the revelation of truth that pertains to the salvation of precious souls. And therefore, we have that part of the verse that is so important that uh, where we read these words, the Father which hath sent me. And there's a wonderful truth encapsulated in that part of the verse that I want to explain to you. Now take the word sent, the verb that's in that part of the verse, The Father which has sent me. In John's Gospel, there are two main words that are translated to send. The one that's in view here is used 27 times in the Gospel of John. And it's used of the Father sending Jesus Christ. Those 27 times that the verb is used, it is used in that particular way, this particular verb. We can't see it in the English And I don't need to pronounce it in Greek because that wouldn't, well, what would it matter to you or me? Well, just forget about the Greek at the moment. The Greek verb is translated sem 27 times. The first time it is used is in John 4 and verse 34. And when you look at that verse with me, John 4 and verse 34. And it's the occasion when the Lord is in Samaria. He is dealing with the woman at the well and the disciples have gone into the city to buy bread and they come back and and so on. That's the setting. So verse number 34 says, Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me. There's the verb again. And to finish his work. Now notice the context here. The Lord is talking about doing the will of the Father. The will of the one who sent them. And it's the very same word. And it says then, and to finish his work. Now that statement in John 4.34 sets the tone for the other 26 times when this particular Greek verb is used in the Gospel of John. And therefore, 
what we find is that there's a reference here to the sending of Jesus Christ to do the will of the Father in the finishing of the work that the Father has given him to do. And therefore the sending is in relation to the redemptive work by which men are delivered from their sin. Now get a hold of that. And remember that's what's in view in our text as we'll see again when we turn back to that verse. And therefore the blessed person to whom sinners are drawn by the Father is the person who came, who was sent to do the will of the Father, namely the Redeemer, the only mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And so when he speaks here in John 4.34 of being sent to do the will of his Father and to finish his work, he speaks as the Redeemer. And furthermore, that means that he's speaking of the covenant of redemption. There is no Redeemer without a covenant. The Bible teaches that so clearly throughout the Scriptures, both in the Old and New Testaments. God and Jesus Christ entered into what we call, what the Bible reveals to be, the eternal covenant of redemption. We are a covenant-believing church. We believe in covenant theology. We do not believe that God has dealt with men in multiple, multiple ways down through time. He has only dealt with men in one way in order to save them. And that's within the framework of that eternal covenant of redemption. And in that covenant, Jesus Christ undertook. Yea, he, he obliged himself as the mediator of that covenant to come and to redeem men and to save men. In order to do that, he therefore must finish the work that the Father gave him to do. And so, in that covenant between the Father and the Son, the covenant of redemption, the, st- the Son stands as the mediator. And you know how often we read of the Lord as a mediator? Well, a number of times. First Timothy 2.5, one mediator between God and men. Three times in the book of Hebrews, in various chapters, chapter 8 and chapter 9 and chapter 12. And the point is, it is only... Christ in all of the Bible who has ever given the name or the title mediator, no one else but Jesus Christ. He is therefore the only mediator between God and men. And so the person to whom sinners are drawn has done uh, something and is still doing something. Number one, he has accomplished redemption. That's what he's saying here in John 4.34. My, uh, my meat is to do. What I feed on, what I am consumed with, my goal in being in the world is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. John 4.34. Now, in a very interesting way, if you'll turn to John 19.30, you will find something there that ties in with John 4.34. Because it talks there in John 4.34 about Jesus Christ finishing the work the Father has sent him to do. And notice the word finish. What do you have in John 19 verse 30? You have the great cry from the cross, the sixth cry from the cross. And what is it? It is the very same word that's used. It is finished. Or, as we've often said to you, it is simply this in the original language, finished. 
So he said in John 4, 34, early on in his ministry, my meat, my goal, what I am here for, what my whole work is wrapped up in is to finish the work. And so he comes to the sixth cry on the cross. Before he says, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And in that sixth cry he says, finished. And what he's referring to is what he says here in John 4.34, to finish the work that the Father had sent him to do. And that's what you call the accomplishment of redemption. Remember that. Redemption was accomplished by Jesus Christ. It's a glorious truth. It's a lovely uh, truth that we need to get a hold of more and more and more and pray over and think about and proclaim with all the power that God gives us that redemption is accomplished, that the work is finished. There's nothing more to be done in order to the salvation of men. So there is the accomplishment of redemption and, of course, there's the application of redemption. And that's really what you have turning back to John chapter 6 and the verse number 30, uh, this uh, verse number 44. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him and I'll raise him up at the last day. This is a reference to men been drawn to Christ in order to experience the application of redemption to their souls, to their entire lives. And men and women, that's what being saved is all about. That's what been drawn to Christ is all about. It's been drawn to a person, as we're seeing, in order to benefit from that person's work. The accomplishment of redemption is the work, and then there's the application of it. Whenever you were saved, God began to apply all the benefits, all the blessings of redemption to your soul. We're here tonight, as we are at other times of prayer, to pray for sinners all over our town, all over our land, all over our world, that God in His mercy will apply redemption to them and that they will benefit Yes, they will benefit, and they'll have all the blessings and all of the uh, glorious possessions that come from the redemptive work of our Savior. So that's the person to whom sinners are drawn. It is really the one who is the Redeemer. As is underlined by those words, the Father which hath sent me, remember that, God has sent them, and we're taken there to the whole realm of redemption through our Lord Jesus Christ. Then, what about the power by which they are drawn? Because the Lord speaks here of the Father drawing sinners. And we're focusing on little words tonight. Well, not little words, but certain words, very important words. And here's another of them. This word, draw, again, that's a verb. It's a vital word in the whole text, and it signifies the quality of, of power. It signifies that sinners are drawn to Christ by a certain power. When you think of something being, being drawn, there is the execution of power in that. There is the exercise of ability. You see, the sinner doesn't have the ability to draw himself to Christ. He must be drawn by another. And that other is the Father and we'll see more about that in a moment or two, but there's a thought of the power by which they are drawn. And this, of course, is a supernatural power. We're going to see more about it. I want you to turn to John 21. John 21. 
And uh, please forgive me for talking about how many times words are used in the New Testament in certain places, but it's very important to notice that kind of thing. And in John 21, we find this same word used. And in the New Testament, that is the word draw. In the New Testament, again, there are two main words that are translated draw in our English version. And they're the one that we're looking at now in our text and also here in John 21 is one of those two words. And so the one that we're looking at tonight is used here in John 21 in the context of the miraculous and the supernatural. Look at John 21 verse number 6. He said unto them, cast the net on the, first, on the right side of the ship and ye shall find. They cast therefore and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. This is an interesting verse because in verse number 6, all the disciples, including Peter, could not draw that net full of fish. Such was the size of the catch that all of them together, all those men, muscular fishermen, they could not draw that net into the boat and onto the shore. And so there's the word used again in the negative. They were not able to draw it. But it's the same word. And then, of course, you see, all of this translates into this as far as what is going on is concerned. You remember they had fished all night. They had caught nothing. And then the Lord wrought a miracle. Unseen by them, the Lord Jesus Christ actually drew all those fish into that net silently, as it were, not in any open or uh, observable manner. But when they let down their net on the right side of the ship, the, the next thing they found was that that net was full of fish, and they knew that a miracle had been wrought by a, that mysterious person who's standing on the shore. Look at verse number 4. When the morning was come, now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. This is after his resurrection. They didn't recognize him. Maybe they were too far from him, but anyhow, they didn't recognize him. The disciples knew not that it was Jesus. But when the miracle of drawing the fish into the net actually took place, then John said something, verse number 7, because this is who the disciple is in verse 7. It's John. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Only the Lord could do this. He drew all those fish into that net. We fished all night. We couldn't catch one single fish. And now our net is so full that we are not able to draw it to the shore. So there's that part of the whole story here about the miracle of, of the fish that are actually caught in that net that was empty after all of the labors of these men during the night gone by. What happens then? Look at verse 8. And the other, disciple came, the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, as it were, 200 cubits, dragging the net with fishes. Do you see the word dragging in verse number 8? That's the other Greek word that means to draw. And what has happened is the disciples themselves could not draw the net to the shore, the net that the Lord had filled with all those fish. And so another ship came along and they tied the net to that boat 
or that ship, and then they brought the whole thing to the shore. That's all part of the story here. That's all part of the picture that we have in this wonderful chapter. And as I say in verse number 8, there's a different word used, dragging the net. You've heard of a dragnet, perhaps, if you've ever looked at the whole subject of fishing or uh, out on the boats in the North Sea or wherever they are, and they used to use a dragnet. It was tied to the ship, and they dragged it along the bottom, and they caught their fish. There's such a thing as a dragnet, and here we have that very thing here. This was a net that was dragged now by the boat to the shore. So that's part of the story. But now go to verse 11, and this is interesting. Simon Peter went up, and listen carefully, and drew the net to land. Now, this is the same net. This is the net that they had let down time after time during the night, and there was nothing in it on every instance. And then this is the net that the Lord said, cast that net on the right-hand side of the ship. And they did that, and it was filled to the point where all of them could not draw that net. And now it has been dragged close to the shore by that other boat, as we've just seen. And then Peter goes. And here's part of the whole miraculous scene. Peter single-handedly drew that net that all of them could not draw earlier. But he drew that net to the shore. Because in verse number 11, you've got the very same word, in the original Greek language, as we're seeing in our text tonight, as we're seeing here in John 21 earlier, uh, in verse 6, where they couldn't draw it. And now we find in verse number 11 that Peter drew the net all by himself. What is this? God, by His Spirit, gave Peter the power to draw that net full of great fishes, draw it in by himself, Now, there's an illustration of what you have in our text tonight in John 6 and verse number 44. No man is able to come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. And we are seeing how the word draw is shrouded in the context of the supernatural. It is bathed in the supernatural. It's a word that signifies the supernatural. And when all the disciples failed One of them then, who had been there when they all failed, he went alone down to the shore where the net was lying full of fish and he pulled it all by himself up onto the shore. And that wasn't because Peter had the physical power then that he didn't have earlier. It's because God gave him power to draw that net in and see all of those, as it says there, all those great fish. Verse 11 It says it was full of great fishes, 150 and 3. I'm going to come back to that again before the end of the meeting here, I trust, as of time. But just notice that, and we'll come back to that a little later. But turn to John 12, John chapter 12, and the verse number 32. And notice what we read there. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Here's the word once more. And we're finding, again, 
that there's the thought here of power, the power by which men are drawn to Jesus Christ. We've seen it illustrated in John 21 in that miracle. And now we have the Lord speak in John 12, 32. And he says, If I be lifted up from the earth, and that's his death. That's redemption again. You're told that a little farther down in verse number 33. This he said signifying what death he should die that is lifted up on the cross. And therefore he says in 32, If I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to me. Now there's a question for you. Is every man without exception in the human race drawn to Christ? No. Because multitudes are lost. So what does the Lord mean when he says, I will draw all men unto me? Well, the word all is used here in the sense of all kinds of men as it often is. It has to be that way. It can't be everybody without exception because not all men are saved. The Bible makes that absolutely clear. There are multitudes who are lost, and of course we lament that, but that is true. So what is the Lord saying? He says, when I am lifted up on Calvary, the result will be that from across the world, and you see, I'm, I'm saying this because the rest of the Bible teaches us that from all nations a people will be brought. From all kindreds and peoples and tongues a people will be brought. All kinds of people. Rich people, poor people, high people, low people, men and women, so on. All kinds, all classes. That's what the Lord means. He says, I will draw all of those people to me. But it's the same word. This word, draw. And so... There is the power by which men are drawn to Jesus Christ. And what is that power? Well, really you've touched on it. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. John chapter 16, verse number 8, the Lord says, When he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will convince men of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And that's what's meant there. The word draws not used, but that's what's in view. In John 16 verse 8, the Lord convinces men of their need, of their sin, of the judgment that's coming, of the righteousness that's found in Christ. How does He do it? He does it by the Holy Ghost. And there is no other way. And so there is the person to whom sinners are drawn the Redeemer himself, and there's the power by which they are drawn. It is by the power of the Spirit of the living God. If you'll turn back quickly to John 6, you'll notice that there's another element in this whole matter of the power by which they're drawn. It's also the power of the Word. Because notice what the Lord goes on to say in verse 45. It is written in the prophets, they shall be all taught of God. Every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned of me, or sorry, learned of the Father, cometh unto me. There is a teaching here, there's an instruction here in, in reference in verse number 45. All taught of God. And so these are those who are drawn to Christ and are drawn to Christ only by the power of the Spirit as we've seen in our study of, of these things under this heading of the power by which they're drawn but it is also by the Word. The Spirit and the Word work together. They're not drawn to Jesus Christ through emotionalism. They're not drawn to Jesus Christ by music. 
people think that. Play music in a certain way and that will draw people to Christ. No, it won't, my friend. I have nothing against good music. But I tell you right now, music is not what draws people to Christ. It's the Spirit and the Word. And that's what we're seeing. He says it. No man can come to me except the Father drawn. It is written in the prophets. Uh, they shall all be taught of God. That is, those who are drawn will all be taught of God. And you need to pray about that tonight. You need to pray that sinners will see the person to whom they need to be drawn. And then that they will experience the power by which they are drawn. The power of the Holy Ghost and the power of the Word. Those are God's ingredients in drawing men to the Lord Jesus. It's the Spirit and the Word. I'm not telling you anything new, but I am telling you, by way of reminder, this is what we need to pray about. I I just want to close with this, the prospect for those who are drawn. The end of verse 44, what is the prospect? I will raise him up at the last day. And so he says, no man can come to me, no man has the ability to come to me except the Father drawn, Father who sent me drawn. I will raise him up at the last day. If you go back up the chapter a little, you will notice this coming out in a number of these verses. Verse 39, this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all that he hath given me I should lose nothing but should raise it up at the last day. Raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, verse 40, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. The Lord is speaking in these verses directly as what we call the surety of the covenant, as the one who has obligated himself to have a people and fulfill all obligations for them, and then finally raise them up at the last day. What a glorious day that will be. That's the prospect that those who are drawn to Christ actually have. Being raised up by Christ at that great day. Raised up in glory. Raised up in the beauty of true righteousness. Raised up as a people washed from all their sin. Raised up without spot, without blemish. Raised up never to know what sin is. What death is. What temptation is again. Never. But raised up by Jesus Christ unto glory. I said, I'll go back to John 21. I want to do that right now. And look with me at verse 11 once more. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes, and hundred and fifty and three. And for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. There's a truth in that verse that I want you to think about. Sometimes, well, actually, one other time, I should say, you read of a miracle of catching fish, Luke 5, and there you read of the net breaking. Here, the net doesn't break. It's full of great fish, but the net doesn't break. The Holy Spirit emphasizes that. Great fish is the exact number that are in that net, is brought to us. 153. 
where, where do they arrive? They are, they are brought to the shore where the risen Christ is standing. And they're brought there with a net intact and not a fish missing. They're all drawn there. That's an illustration of what the Lord says, I will raise them up at the last day. You see, the net that God uses never breaks. The drawing power of God does not result in some abortive situation where some are landed and some and the rest are not. The Bible doesn't teach that. It makes it absolutely clear that the whole catch that God has made throughout time is all going to be landed safely on heaven's shore and not one will be missing. <coughs> That's the comfort of the gospel. Dear believer, you didn't draw yourself to Christ and you're not keeping yourself either. And furthermore, you'll not land in heaven by your own ability. You'll land there because the Lord drew you and the Lord's keeping you and the Lord will bring you safely home. And that's why we can pray tonight for precious souls. You know what Jeremiah says, that wonderful verse, Jeremiah 31, 3. The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love, an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. Whenever, you may have heard of what's called the Septuagint version of the Bible. It was a translation of the Old Testament into Greek, way, way back, long before the Lord's own day. And it's called the Septuagint because it was done by 70 scholars. And when they came to translate Jeremiah 31 verse 3, with loving kindness have I drawn thee, they employed the very Greek word that we're looking at tonight and thinking about. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. And therefore, it's interesting. It's just a little additional fact you should think about. They saw the meaning of that word, that word draw, and they used it. But what a statement that is that Jeremiah utters there in, in that verse. The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, I have loved thee with an everlasting love, therefore with loving kindness have I drawn thee. My friend, how true that is. Loving kindness you see, you need to ask yourself the question, did I deserve to be drawn? Was there something in me that attracted the Lord? Was there some quality, spiritually speaking? Was there something that was meritorious in my character and my life that caused the Lord to say, there's one I'm going to draw, look at him or her. No, there was absolutely nothing but the rottenness and the filth of sin to be seen. And therefore, it was with loving kindness that he drew us. And that means, men and women, there's no sinner too hard for the Lord. There's no sinner in our town tonight whom the Lord could not draw. Not one. He's able to save to the uttermost. 
Therefore, let us take this to him in prayer tonight and lay hold upon him at the throne of grace. We'll just have a word of prayer and we'll sing a verse or two of a hymn. Let's bow in prayer and look to the Lord. Father in heaven, we thank thee for what our Savior said in this verse. And we rejoice in the wonder of it and the amazing truth that is here. Lord, give your people grace to meditate on this, to think on it, to understand it. May thy word have a sanctifying, purging effect on every mind. Lord, may we be disabused of the idea that we can draw ourselves or that sinners have some ability to seek the Lord. Oh God, may we see that they're hopeless and helpless and God must step in. And by the Spirit they must be awakened and convicted and troubled and by the Spirit's power and the Word they must have their minds illumined and be drawn to Calvary, to the Redeemer. Lord, do this. Do this over and over again. Do it with our little children. Do it with the young men and the young women in our congregation. Do it, Lord, with older folk, and even beyond the uh, pale of this church family. Lord, work on a wide, wide scale, and may there be a mighty drawing to the Savior. Hear as we pray, and continue with us, we ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.